classic reboot, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And along the way, we ask, how has Andy Serkis never won an Oscar? Is this movie really just a long vacation for California? And just how plausible is a cure for Alzheimer's? Take your stinking paw off me, you dirty damn podcast. This is Force Fed Sci-Fi. All right, guys. Welcome back. Welcome back to another awesome, bodacious episode of Force Fed Sci-Fi. My name is Sean Michael Culp, and along with me is my friend and co-host. I am Chris Rupp. Hey, Mr. Chris Rupp. How are you doing, man? I am doing great. I am so pumped to be talking about rise of the planet of the apes i think one of a few prime examples of truly great science fiction that we've gotten over the last 15 years or so you think so really that is a that is a hefty claim to heap on this movie man well i think the original planet of the apes just the franchise itself is so ubiquitous in the cultural lexicon people know what it's about um, the original with uh, Charlton Heston, you know, astronaut manages to go forward in time. And then there's you know, the great quote, take your stinking paw off me, all the great imagery. And then <laughs> that ending with the classic, you know, you blew it up, you maniacs. You know, that ending. Is just ever, that, I think that ending lives rent free in the minds of most sci-fi fans. And it's just in I don't know about you, but I was just initially skeptical of this movie now 10 years ago and and it, it it blew me away at the time and it was great to revisit it for today's episode i'm still just like blown away that you said ubiquitous of the cultural lexicon my mind just can't even handle that wordplay uh we'll call it uh yeah it's a big word podcast uh our new sean and i's new podcast we're defining big words for everybody all right so how about you define the synopsis for us, my good sir? All right. So when scientist Will Rodman fails to develop a cure for Alzheimer's, his experiments affect a young chimp named Caesar in a profound way. And as Caesar's world is up- uprooted, his increased intelligence will prove to be a danger to humanity. Wow. That's good. Oh, Caesar. I, do you know how they actually got the name Caesar before we jump into the cast and crew? You know, I actually watched, um, I have the, I have the Blu-ray, so I was able to watch this at home. So I watched a lot of the making of behind the scenes things that they had for the special features. And the screenwriters, uh, Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, they actually worked backwards from the original Planet of the Apes film. And there's a moment in the film where they talk about the first ape was named Caesar and the first word uttered was no. So and and they talked oh. about how the entire movie they were writing was just building to that moment where Caesar is standing over Dodge and he yells no. Yeah, that's a moment. That's a really good moment in this. And I think you're right. It this essentially this film does build to that moment. Very cool. Very cool tidbits. So who is in this film? It is directed by Rupert Wyatt. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I really don't know anything about Rupert. Do you? Yeah, I I don't either. This is actually only his second uh, film that he helmed in a director's chair. His first film called The Escapist. Apparently, it was the darling of the Sundance Film Festival in 2008. And if you have a film that's just you know everywhere in Sundance, odds are you're going to be 
you know, picked up to direct some blockbuster or some big budget movie at somewhere down the line. Yeah, that you're you're right because Sundance is kind of like that festival where uh, bougie. It would be a term used with, oh, I'm at Sundance Theater, you know, like the festivals, which I think if you can make it, though, there, that's pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. It's no small feat into getting to this, into the Sundance Film Festival, but I always imagined it as the episode of Entourage where the crew goes to Sundance and all they do is try to snowboard and, 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 and <laughs> nail chicks. What? God, I got to watch that TV series. That sounds amazing. Oh, man, it's so dated because the first two seasons take place in like 2004, 2005. So it is, oh, man, it is steeped in so much datedness. It's not even funny. (laughs) Perfect. Even better for us, I guess, now old timers. So Caesar in this film is uh, motion capture by Andy Serkis, right? Yeah. And Andy Serkis kind of helmed him. Yeah, Andy Serkis is really definitely kind of a pioneer of this performance capture um, medium, I I guess, for lack of a better word, because I think he really pioneered the technology when he was Gollum in the Lord of the Rings series, and now obviously Caesar, and now we're able to kind of recognize just how good he was as Gollum and as Caesar, and this has just led to an entire trend of actors performing not so much seeing them on screen because there's been so like now this technology is all over video games like they'll 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 hire actors to do the performance capture and overlay a different face on them and it's just it's totally changed how actors actually do their jobs oh it's it's wonderful actually and marvel the cinematic universe has totally grown from that i mean freaking um what hulk is done, you know, by motion capture. Uh, Ultron himself, you know, by James Spader. Like, that's all his body movements. I mean, the film industry, we can thank Mr. Andy Serkis for, like, basically taking this to that level. And he's so damn good. Such a damn good actor. Oh, yeah. I mean, hands down, one of the best we've seen. It criminally underrated, I will add. Yes, highly underrated. You know who was an actor that many people said was highly underrated and now maybe might be overrated is our uh, guy, James Franco, who played Will Rodman. Are you a Franco fan? You know, not anymore now that we know that he's a, a garbage human being, but I've always, I've had my suspicions <laughs> about him for a while. Um, Your suspicions? I mean, yeah. I mean, personally, like, he does these great movies. Like, he had, like, a four- or five-year stretch where every movie he was churning out was an absolute banger. And then he turns around and directs an adaptation of a Cormac McCarthy movie called Child of God, which was a total, like, dogpile of a movie. I can't even talk about just how bad it was. So he does four (laughs) or five really great movies, and then he'll do 15 bad movies in a row. And then he does one good movie, yeah. and then people are like, oh, it's James Franco. He's always been good. Like, please, you wrote him off already two years ago. Let's not give him – let's not give more credit where credit isn't due. Yeah, right, because wasn't it like early two thousand or late 2000s, early 2010s, Franco was the man, but then he kind of became a, an enigma, per se, of himself. Like, he just took himself too seriously. And then after that, I mean, he just kind of fell. I think the last good film I've seen of his was like um, 
the the one where it was Seth Mc not Seth MacFarlane but Joe Rogan, Franco, and all their buddies, and they basically the apocalypse happens, right? Do you, did you ever see that? This is the end. I I don't know. There's like nine of those movies he's done. <laughs> really? He's Are you like serious? A, like a like a way too serious Adam Sandler. All all James Franco does is make movies that he and his buddies, you know, <laughs> that he and his buddies, you know, can just go hang out and do over a month or two. God, what a man. What a man. <laughs> oh, I guess you know, if you want to make money with all your homies, that's the way to do it. But enough about this man. <laughs> Who else is in this freaking movie? All right, we've got Frida Pinto as Caroline. She's the veterinarian slash Will's girlfriend that uh, really kind of takes a backseat for most of the film. We've got beautiful though. She is gorgeous. Not gonna lie. Uh, we've got yeah. John Lithgow as Charles Rodman, Will's father, who is afflicted with Alzheimer's and is just absolutely heartbreaking to watch his scenes at times. Yeah. We've got the great Brian Cox as John Landon, the head of the ape sanctuary Caesar winds up in. Uh, Tom Felton of Harry Potter fame as Dodge Felton, the the little uh, innocent <laughs> of a son who likes to beat up on innocent animals. And Douche finally, pay. we've got David Oyelowo as Stephen Jacobs, the <clears throat> CEO of Genesis. Not a bad cast. Great cast. I mean... Will is really kind of the thread that holds the movie together amongst all the characters, but the, all of the characters, I think, work independently of Will, and I think that's what makes them, you really hate them or you love them, and that's what makes it so great. Mm-hmm. I I agree with you there. It's it, But it's pretty tight. I think the cast is pretty tight-knit, and everyone does a hell of a job acting-wise. It didn't feel... You know, or there's one guy that sucks. <laughs> You're like, oh, God, is this the Vin Diesel of the group or whoever? Insert crappy actor. Yeah, nobody, nobody's terrible and everybody's great. It's, it's always nice to see that. So, <laughs> big time movie. There was a sizable budget that was committed to this movie right from the start. 20th Century Fox put in $93 million for this film, and I was not expecting to God. see a budget that big. But you could tell it's there. I mean, the budget is on screen. It's nice. It's really nice. And I don't know if you were able to point, pick this out, too, but there were a lot of like references and Easter eggs that the screenwriters dropped in from the previous uh from the original film like they're at one point caesar is holding like a model statue of liberty um coba the ape near uh in the third act of the film he's holding his arm out similar to a human was in the original planet of the apes obviously the 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 motif of the apes riding on horseback and is this movie is just so steeped in planet of the apes lore i mean at times it's almost distracting to point it out and make a note of it i am gonna say this and i've but i've never actually seen the originals <laughs> my my original planet of the apes that i've seen is the tim burton one from 2001 oh no <laughs> so this was kind of like a first to me i think i saw this in theaters like 10 years ago and i wasn't i don't know i liked it but i wasn't I was 10 years ago, and I was a different man. So the references to me, they, they went over my head. All right, well, 
I mean, granted, it's been a minute since I watched the original just because, you know, I'm not the biggest Charlton Heston fan. I'm more of a <laughs> I'm a Kirk Douglas fan myself if we're going to talk about classic Hollywood leading <laughs> men. But that's just my own personal preference. There's either Team Kirk or Team Charlton Heston. Right. I, I don't blame you there. I don't I really don't blame you there. They're two polarizing individuals. But right on, brother. I'm glad that those Easter eggs like really popped out to you. I'm excited if we if the older one comes up then to revisit. So it will be it will be dope as hell. But speaking of all those things, uh the Easter eggs, how did you think like production value and everything, the visual effects? What did you think of that? with this film like it's all the apes are you know cgi essentially yeah there's no actual apes that are on set it's all humans that are wearing like these tracking dots and and in performance capture suits and it is i mean i gotta say even after 10 years these visual effects hold up incredibly well and maybe even better than some marvel films that we're seeing now it's it's amazing visual effects. You can tell a lot of work and a lot of attention was paid to how these apes look and how expressive they are. And it really comes through in the final product. I, I will echo that. Those facial expressions that like Andy Serkis does, just perfect. I, I was floored by I couldn't believe it when I saw that. I was like, 10 years ago, really? This is phenomenal, you know? Like... And we're just gonna get better and better as the years go on. So I, I I agree with you there. The the virtual effects, special effects, incredible. Yeah, I think if we're gonna be if we're gonna talk about films that have amazing visual effects, I think you have to include this film in that conversation along with films like Jurassic Park or Aliens or Terminator Two, because that's the level that that is on display in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. I I definitely agree. Would you call this like a reboot or a prequel? I think this has to be considered a reboot because it's it's too far removed from the events of the original film from in that timeline to be considered a remake. Now the Tim Burton movie tried to do that and that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't good. We'll certainly unpack some thoughts <laughs> on that a little later in the episode. Um but it's it was nice to see a the, the filmmakers kind of work backwards from the original film and kind of unpack the question, well, how did it go from planet Earth to planet of the apes? Obviously, there's some sort of trajectory here and it didn't happen overnight. So I think it was appropriate to go way back in time to the early 21st century and, and track that genesis. Yeah. And it's, it's cool how the events all unfold, you know, like one one little thing. The killing of Caesar's mom, you know, leads to the baby to finding, you know, it's just and it's it's a snowball effect. Essentially, the storytelling in this film, I think, is phenomenal. The writers, kudos to you guys who let's say the screenwriters are freaking Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver. Kudos to you in the direction from Wyatt, because the way that the everything unfolds, it's just it works out perfectly. Great storytelling. Well, I mean, and I think I, I want to focus in on something you said, like one little thing. Think about how many movies we've talked about during this project that have come from one little thing. Like in the movie Her, it came from the development of this revolutionary AI. In Minority Report, mm-hmm. it was 
the precogs who could predict murder and stop crime. And so many of these great stories have come from just this small little detail. And in this case, it's it's Caesar's mother uh, being taken away and being killed in Genesis. That really kind of kicks mm-hmm. off this whole story. Yeah. And the ki- like, because the parentage of Caesar is everything. We find out that she had a baby. His mom was killed and they realize, oh my God, we just murdered this ape, not because she was reacting to the virus negatively, but because she was trying to protect her young, which was Caesar. And I think this is something that comes up throughout the rest of the film. Like, would Caesar have been better off staying with his mother and staying at Genesis, or would he have been better ah, off with Will? That's but, a good question. I mean, and I, and I think... And, and I don't know, like, how people will land on this, but honestly, I like I think it was wrong for Will to to hide Caesar's nature from himself. Like, it wasn't until Caesar was you know, a grown adult chimpanzee and obviously intelligence off the charts. He had known for a long time just how smart Caesar was. And I think Will was very naive to think that a conversation like this about Caesar's mother or his real father wouldn't have come up at some point. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, yeah, the conversation you would have, I imagine, if you have an adopted child, I'm sure at some point. I was I was thinking about that, too. What Was it right for him to take Caesar, you know, to hide all that stuff? And I don't know. I think maybe he wanted to wait till he was older to explain it to him so he could get it. At least that was my thoughts, which the idea that a grown man is able to sign an entire conversation, like speak to a chimpanzee and the chimpanzee gets it was pretty cool, man. I remember when they're sitting in that car, I was thinking, oh, my God, Caesar's basically a human being at this point. Yeah, I mean, it was it's important for Will to recognize that this is still a chimpanzee in spite of how intelligent he is there. They're. There's that little snippet when they're coming out of the woods where Caesar basically you know, screams at a barking dog. And it's, it's this reminder mm-hmm. to us, and it should have been a reminder for Will, that Caesar is capable of violence and flipping that switch when he needs to. Yeah. Yeah, instincts. You can never shut them off. And I think you're absolutely correct with that. It's interesting because when Caesar, several times throughout the film, he he, it's crazy that we say exposing our humanity you know but it's caesar like when the grandfather gets attacked when he's having a um an episode the alzheimer episode caesar ends up attacking you know the the poor neighbor that keeps getting attacked um and then caesar realizes what he's done you know and he goes to the grandfather and he he realizes oh my god and then with the dog he realizes that he was you know growling i mean every time it's interesting that caesar like grows you know until the end when caesar finally becomes like the most rational ape where he doesn't want to kill people you know he just wants to get them to the woods so it's pretty interesting seeing his uh progression you know as a character well yeah especially that scene where he does attack the neighbor and he's pulled out of it by charles and he that look on his face and again this just 
gives you a glimpse into just how brilliant of an actor Andy Serkis is. That scene is so heartbreaking because it trains on Caesar for the longest time. And you could tell right away there's this huge look of sadness and regret and just this realization washing over him of, oh, my life is about to change. Yeah. He, He just realized, oh, my God, the ramifications for what I've done. That's a, that you're that's a, you're right. That's such a good moment. Um, it's so heartbreaking, and this movie is just filled of all these little hell. heartbreaking moments. Caesar having to go to the ape ape sanctuary, but I mean, for me especially, I mean, having a parent who does have a neurological disorder, like watching the scenes of Charles just slip back into Alzheimer's after years of thinking uh, he would be okay is just oh, those were the absolute worst, and just so gut-wrenching yes i i agree that to me it hit home for me as well because i had a grandparent that struggled with it as well and it's just oh you know you just feel so sad for the guy especially when he gets in the neighbor's car and he's you know he thinks it's his and he goes forward and back i mean kudos to lithgow man for doing such a great job i think he nailed it he really did and it's just so heartbreaking to see that him confused and he doesn't know what he's doing or why Ugh. and trying to explain. I was like, Oh, poor old man. I mean, I, I do love how dedicated Will is to, to helping his father and to cure his disease. But I mean, it's really his hubris and his arrogance into thinking I can cure this and I can stop nature or alter its course is ultimately like what kills his father. Cause Oh man, I I started losing it when Will is about to give him the improved the, the ALZ one thirteen, and his father stops him. It just shakes his head, no, like almost like no, like my suffering needs to end. This yeah, has gone on okay. too long, and then the next morning he passes away. Oh, that was just it was just it was like having your guts ripped out. I know he 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 was done. He said, "I'm done," you know. It's it's okay. You can let me go. <laughs> That's just so sad. But, you know, he, I think he knew that his son would continue and he wouldn't stop until, uh, you know, he, he would lose his own mind himself. And I think that's the ultimate sacrifice, you know, when it, knowing when to call it, you know. Right. And I, I totally agree. It's just like all these neurological disorders, ALS, oh, Alzheimer's, Huntington, sucks. Parkinson's, these are absolutely beasts of diseases and they wreak havoc among families. And as somebody who like could be genetically exposed to the disease that my mom has, it's like, it, yeah. it, we, we're always hopeful that a cure or a treatment could be, you know, coming along the pipe soon. And, like while there are advances especially when it comes to genetic mapping a cure is still a long ways away but there's always things that people can try and do to maybe prevent the onslaught of it like because there's so many different factors that go into whether or not you inherit a neurological disorder it's you know different genes that you inherit from your mother and your father it's also where you grow up but it's also mm-hmm. how you live, like how much you exercise, how much you're stimulating your brain, how you eat. Literally everything could affect your brain's activity. And it's so important yeah. to stay active and to stay stimulated and, and hopefully 
stave off the effects of Alzheimer's. Definitely. Definitely. Do you think there'll ever be a cure? Like, would it actually happen? Would Big Pharma allow it? It's difficult to say whether or not a cure would actually happen. I I mean, I have to be hopeful that it would, but there's always the economics of illness, which I, as an American, I absolutely hate that phrase um, because it's, it's, it's because you make more money from a sick person than you do from a healthy one. And I, and I wish that that attitude didn't exist. And I wish that treatments were available for Alzheimer's and Huntington's and Parkinson's, but yeah, there's just no real great long-term solutions for a disease like those. It's tough. It's neurological uh, diseases. That's that's something that we can't. You know, like cancer, you can cut out of someone if you catch it early, and then just continue to monitor and check up. But something like you know Alzheimer's, that's that's tough. Parkinson's, it's just uh, how much money is Michael J. Fox put in? I mean, you know, it's it's tough. Oh man, he's put but, so much of his own money into treating himself. Yeah. Kudos to that man, you know. I think he just retired too, like last year. I mean, yeah, it's long overdue for him. Yeah, that's true. So, on a better note, do you, how did you think of California in this uh, movie? I love the redwoods. I think it was so beautiful. I mean, yeah, the redwoods were great. I mean, this may be one of like the best looking like California films I've ever seen because you never doubt for a moment that this is in California that this movie set it. <laughs> How many times do they show San Francisco? You know, it's like, we get it. We're in San Fran. It's like, here is the Golden Gate Bridge. Here's the Golden Gate Bridge again. Here are the Redwoods. Oh, here are the Redwoods again. Here's a fancy zoo that looks like it could be in California. Oh, by the way, and totally plausible, there could be a giant ape sanctuary somewhere nestled, you know, on the outskirts <laughs> of San Francisco. Totally. I, I believed it, you know. I was like, man, what if it could actually happen? I mean, <laughs> those the only are the thing trees. missing was like in like a like a stadium shot of a 49ers game or something. <laughs> you're right. Golden State Warriors. Uh, you're right. Nah, maybe you know not what the I, Warriors. They were still doo-doo stew at this time. That is true. They were pretty hot garbage back in 2010, 2011. That is true. But it was interesting how they actually filmed like a lot of those scenes, like especially on the Golden Gate Bridge, because they only had yeah. like, a small portion of it, and the entire set was basically surrounded by like blue or green screens. And then they would just expand the bridge in either direction in post production. And it's awesome how they did all of that. <laughs> and it and it looked beautiful though. I love that scene, that fight scene at the end. You know, the I guess the climax of the film or the uh I guess lowering action. I can't remember the theater terminologies, but that was such it's a, a cool French word friggin- called denouement. There, there we go. <laughs> and that's such a good scene, especially when the uh, villain gets his comeuppets, you know, and he uh, and Caesar's just like, "Screw you, man! I'm not going to help you up." So, that was such a good scene. You know, this movie is really lucky in that it has two absolutely despicable villains. We got Dodge at the sanctuary and Jacob's the CEO of Genesis. But I mean, who, which one is the more, you know, one you want to hate more? Oh my God. I, I'm going to tell you, Oh 
both are just so lousy. Like Jacobs to me, his death was so satisfying, you know, falling into the Blackhawk and um, begging the apes to save him after wanting to commercialize them. And despite, well, well, he treated them like animals, you know, he had no regard for them at all. And he didn't care the um, outcomes of this virus that was unstable, which I mean, I think if I had to go in, I would say it's uh, Dodge, Dodge Landon, just because he was such a dick for no reason to the apes, like Caesar squirting him, excuse me, with the water. He was just such a dick. And then when Caesar would like make him look like a like a, a loser, he'd throw the stuff back in his face. Uh, Dodge finally ended up getting his come up. It's getting electrocuted. So I think Dodge's death was very satisfying as well. I, I knew... I was like, I just can't wait till they kick his ass. How about you? I mean, honestly, I think uh, picking Dodge as the villain is sort of low-hanging fruit because it's easy to kind of key in on the guy who's you know a massive dick to innocent animals. Uh, God. That's just me. I mean, he's clearly dealing with some sort of inferiority complex and or daddy <laughs> issues. And, I mean, granted, his death is immensely more satisfying than Jacob's, but I would have to go with Jacob's as, like, the true villain on the film because like you were mm-hmm. saying he doesn't treat these animals like they have personalities or special traits about him he treats them as lines on a on a spreadsheet is what he does they're not they're not animals yeah. to him they're property they're things that he can manipulate for him i mean it, it, and yeah. all he can think about are profits every time we see him he's talking about profits <clears throat> and making money like, you, like he even says to will at one point you like it's like you make science or whatever, I make money. And I think it's all profits, it's all money for him. And he coldly has the first group of chimps put down after Bright Eyes is killed at the beginning of the film. And at the end he basically commandeers a police helicopter just so he can massacre Caesar's compatriots on the bridge there. I know. That's why that's why I can't pick him because his character just goes so crazy. Like he goes so left field from this guy that just wants to make money and takes precautions to what the virus works? Mass marketed. Kill everyone. It's like who is this man? What what did he become? So, I do think his death was pretty satisfying though. He just he just got so crazy. Well, it's like, definitely who is this Having Jacobs as like the overarching villain is definitely kind of tapping into the sensibility that we all have about big pharma CEOs. It's like the the villains, the real villains out there. I mean, yes. I mean, now yes. that we know like Martin Shirkelly, the pharma bro, is a total uh, dirtbag, and also the Sackler family, and you know what they've done to make the opioid crisis worse. I mean, God. really, this is just kind of like like it's not outside the realm of possibility. It's like okay. There is a CEO out there who's experimenting on chips, and all he's thinking about is money, and will put these apes down the second anything goes wrong with them. What a yeah, what a douchebag. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great when Koba pushed that helicopter off the bridge, though. <laughs> oh hell yeah, and that's an ugly ape, but I feel like he's gonna be very important in the future film so i'm really pumped to see where the apes it's like you almost end up cheering for the apes to win you know they, at least that's how what i felt well 
Yeah, and I think it's appropriate to cheer for the A's because you see just how despicable they're treated by Jacobs and, and Dodge. Yeah, you just see how awful they're treated throughout the film. So at the end of the day, yeah, you're rooting for Caesar, <clears throat> one of his friends, to throw a metal spear through the animal uh, control guy who's rounding up one of their friends. Yeah, and honestly, it's when I was watching this, I'm like, I, I'm fully for them because there's really no good people in this film outside of uh, Charles, his son, Will, and then Carolina or Caroline. Those are literally the only three people that aren't deplorable in some aspects. And we don't really get to see Caroline too much. Like we figure out she's a veterinarian, like working at the zoo. But I mean, that's it. <laughs> she She makes two moments, you know, to heal Caesar and then when they find out that he's hurt but I mean she and I guess she's there for the emotional with Will where uh, she kind of convinces him to tell Caesar about his parents but I mean her character kind of takes a side seat but outside of those three that's that's really it the apes are just treated terribly by everyone yeah I mean Will really doesn't find his sort of moral compass until near the end of the film and even then, I don't think he's doing it out of any sort of like sense of of protection. I think he's just doing it out of regret because he's un- he's finally understanding exactly, you know, what the, his research has cost him. It's cost him his father, his relationship with Caroline is strained, and mm-hmm. and and Caesar is no longer a part of his life. He just it's it's the weight of everything that he has accomplished and i use that in air quotes there you know and then like look where it's got him it's he doesn't have his son for lack of a better word for caesar because caesar's not a pet he's not a brother he's his son he doesn't mm-hmm. have a, a parent and he, everything is gone from his life yeah he loses it all and, which is yeah and especially with caroline like if you think about it she's part of his life for five years right yeah like they're they're romantically involved she's basically caesar's mom slash doctor like and i was just so surprised to see frida pinto's character just take such a back seat in this film and not really contribute much to will's arc at least his moral arc if he, if she was such a big part of his life why wasn't she there more often to say or for him to at least listen to her when she says, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. I think he just didn't want, he didn't want to hear it. He, he was so obsessed with finding the cure that it took the death of his father and seeing all the wreckage that he's caused to finally be like, oh yeah, you're right. Well, this is that Pandora's box that I think all scientists need to be cognizant of. It's, Yes, you are on the precipice of a great discovery, but are you really prepared to open that door and deal with the consequences once you do make mm-hmm. this great leap forward? Yeah, that's true. You should always be mindful of the outcomes. You know, progress is good, but it's got to be controlled. <laughs> I agree. Did uh, How did you think of the... So this film basically is building up to that moment where Caesar says, no, Uh, what did you think of that build to the arc, essentially? You know, I think it's hard not to think about the overall arc of the Planet of the Apes films. Like the when Caesar 
looks over Dodge and says, no, like you cannot help but think of Charlton Essen at the end of the original film going, you blew it up, damn you all to hell and things like that. Like, it's, <laughs> like that has to be present, like that singular moment of Caesar standing up for himself and his fellow apes and saying, no, we're we are smarter than you. We're stronger than you. We're not going to be taking this. It's just it all is going to lead down to, you know, Charlton Eston or somebody's character like him sitting on a beach 3000 years later and going, you blew it up. Damn you all. <laughs> uh, it never gets old. Yeah, I, I agree. It's such a powerful moment when he talks. And then I love seeing Will's face when he realizes that Caesar talks to him. Ah, oh, there's such a good line, too. Oh, just... Caesar is home. Yes. It was great. I couldn't believe. Uh, it was just the shock, but then the acceptance. Such a good movie. You know, the ending is great. I mean, he finally lets go and lets him be free. And ah, it's great as he sets his sights on San Francisco. So <laughs> overall, not even, wonderful it's arc. Not even, it doesn't even have like this villainous note to it. Like you don't no. even... At no point in the movie do you think of the apes as villains. I mean, there is that moment with the several scenes with Rocket and and Caesar where Rocket is trying to be the alpha of the group, but you also understand, like, Rocket isn't on the same level as Caesar. Caesar yeah. understands complex social constructs. Rocket <laughs> Rocket, under, Rocket just knows, hey, I'm the ape on top, Caesar isn't, and I'm going to show my dominance. Yeah. So it takes that. But Caesar gets him in line. Yeah, with a good uh, old whack in the head with a jerry can. <laughs> yeah, it works, though. It works. I mean, yes, I, ha I have found that, you know, solidly hitting your adversaries in the head with a hard object usually gets them on your side. Yes, I agree. And then once they see the muscle and that, you know, this isn't a war that you're going to win. You know, there, there's two choices at that point. All right, either join them or die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, and then just how and how the film ends, too. Like, it, it, you see Caesar, like you said, looking out over San Francisco and realizing, yes, this will all be mine. But then the end credits start, and you see the pilot who was infected with the virus, and you mm -hmm. see these ominous yellow lines spread all over the earth, and just this whole the music by Patrick Doyle that plays over the credits, just like, Oh man, it's all about to break off. People are going to die. And what a timely film too. God, I should have watched this in 2020. <laughs> all right. So yeah, we see the end credits there. People are going to die. It's all going to break off because of this virus. So with that in mind, Sean, did you have a red shirt? My red shirt for this film Oh, my red shirt for this film. What did I think? What did I think? Um, no, nothing crazy. My, I was like more of a, uh, I don't know. I, it was almost like a yellow shirt in a way. I, and it's not that I just had compassion for the neighbor because <laughs> he was a dick at first. Right. And, uh, he was a dick to the you know the to caesar because he was like what the hell is this ape doing in my backyard 
And then Caesar bites his finger. John Lithgow trashes his car. He ends up getting the virus sneezed all on him, so he's going to die. So the neighbor was actually my like red slash yellow shirt because you I can understand why he freaked out on Caesar, right? Because anyone would freak out with an ape near their children. But then it's just like how he ended up just his whole life just took a turn for the worst. It's like at the end when he had the sneeze and the virus on him, he just looked so like downtrodden. I felt bad for him. So that was mine. How about you? You know, I mean, in a in a movie that has animal deaths, you know I'm picking an animal as my red shirt. And <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Buck, that big lowland gorilla that Caesar initially freed at the sanctuary. Yeah. And, and helps him get and helps him get rocket on board with Caesar's plan and as soon as Caesar freed him from his his cage there Buck is just running around, living his best life, throwing balls around, and then he ultimately sacrifices himself, hurls himself at the police helicopter just so he can save Caesar, and has this heartbreaking death scene as Caesar is holding his hand, and it is like, oh, that was that was another gut punch in this movie. I know that was so sad too. <laughs> It was. You're. They were. I. I couldn't believe it. You see this giant ass monkey being cradled, <laughs> and I'm like, am I about to cry for the CGI gorilla? And and I was. I was really. I felt the feels because he sacrificed himself for the greater cause. So I. I like that. That's a good red shirt, man. <laughs> did you have any lens flares? Oh, did I? And I. I think I yelled this out loud when I was watching it. So there's a scene. Right after Caesar rolls the ALZ-113 in the ape sanctuary. And he's leading them, I think, in, like, drill or instructions in the sanctuary. They're all in, like, these rows. And he's leading them through chants or whatever. And you see uh, Brian Cox's character look out the window into the sanctuary. And he sees them all lined up, looks at them, looks at Caesar. And the apes all walk away. And then Brian Cox just walks away like nothing's wrong. (laughs) You just saw all your apes in the sanctuary clearly planning something. And you just walk away like it's another Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel the same with that. That that was mine, too. (laughs) It was like, what what, what, what human would see this and be like, oh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, this would be like if dogs were planning to start walking us, you know, like, come on. It just shows the ego of Brian Cox's character. He he, he felt he was so safe in his sanctuary. <laughs> well, it was false sanctuary. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was what bothered us. But uh, do you want to know what bothered the Internet in uh, this week in toxic fandom? Oh, please bring it on, man. Oh, man, there were so many to choose from. It was hard, but I found this one because, you know, we talked about Dodge being killed earlier. So Dodge Landon is electrocuted in a dramatic shower of sparks when he's sprayed with the water hose while holding an electric cattle prod. This is pure nonsense. This is there is nowhere near enough power contained within this battery powered device to electrocute somebody. Fair. It's like, well. (laughs) Well, Dodge had to die in some way, and that was probably the most satisfying way to do it. So if you have an issue, take it up with the writers. It's <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, uh... <laughs> They're just mad. There's always got to be people pissed off at something. 
I did. We have never encountered a movie where people were like, oh, yeah, this is great. No issues. Plot holes? What plot holes? I don't care about the plot holes. Nope. Everybody's got something to complain about, and they always take it to the internet. Exactly. Always. I mean, I, I saw somewhere. I mean, I did agree. You know, like one was no respectable scientist working on a drug who would recommend starting human trials based on a single chimp showing improvement. Uh, no respectable head of a biotech company would even consider presenting the idea to its board either. So from a research background, that is correct. Because I remember when this film started, I was like, what? No, but it is a good find. That is a good finding to have like a single improvement, but you would want to replicate that um, study a multitude of times. Maybe the company yeah, just absolutely. sucked, you know, and, and we saw that they did. So <laughs> they yeah, ended Well, their CEO was pushed off of a bridge in a police helicopter after he tried murdering a bunch of chimpanzees. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. They suck. The company sucks. That's why. And they just caused basically worldwide extinction with this stupid virus. So, they weren't respectable at all. I agree with you, Toxic Fandom. I agree. I know. You're just looking at this company being like, look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> yes. Yes. So with this film, let's talk about the legacy. Like we, you, we've, you've done the Charlton Heston uh, quotes. I said Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch was in 01. How did it do in the movie theaters? This grossed a lot of money, I feel like. You know, it, it did gross a lot of money. It grossed almost $482 million. But oddly enough, that didn't even crack the top 10 of highest grossing films that year because this was 2011. <coughs> the highest grossing film that year was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 because it just couldn't be contained into Part 1. And that grossed like $1.2 billion. So, yeah, there was no way it was anywhere near the top 10 with that. But it was... Oh, God, it was so well-received at the time, and it came out in August. So there's a there's a noticeable lull in blockbusters that come out in August. It's usually like garbage films. Everybody's waiting for award season and those movies to come out. But, man, critics absolutely loved this movie. It's got an 82% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 68 on Metacritic. And even the late, great Roger Ebert was a fan of the film because he gave it three out of four stars. Hey, there we go. So people loved it and it did pretty, it got a best uh, visual effects nomination in the Oscars, the 84th Academy yeah. Awards. So that's something. Yeah. But do you want to know what it lost to? What? <laughs> Hugo. Ah, uh, well, I guess. I mean, have you talked about Hugo? Have you mentioned it? Or no, I, I, I am. Not, <laughs> I am not a fan of that movie. Okay. To I me, think if somebody's. If somebody's head isn't exploding or there's massive gun violence, to me, it's not a Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> That's right. That is a Martin Scorsese. He just wanted to take a different direction. Well, all right. Thanks a lot, Hugo. <laughs> but it did win big at the Saturn Awards that year. It was nominated for five awards, and it ended up winning for Best Sci-Fi Film, Best Supporting Actor for Andy Serkis and Best Special Effects was also nominated for Best Director and Best Writing. So it did take home big at the Saturn Awards. Well deserved. Andy, so, Andy Serkis deserves it, man. He, I don't know how he hasn't been nominated for an Oscar. I think the Academy is really missing out. And this is my little 
soapbox. I think it's garbage, trash, that they will not nominate someone that does CGI performances. That's lousy. He's done hell of a job in freaking The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and this freaking movie, and yet we're not getting any of it. He deserves it. I think he deserves it, and he's well overdue for a freaking Oscar, so get on it, Academy Awards. That's nonsense. Off a of soapbox. Hey, hey, you let me have my rant at the end of A Quiet Place Part 2, so you get your rant for Rise of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> True. And there will be more Planet of the Apes, because there are sequels. Oh, yeah, this got two new sequels. This is a whole reboot trilogy, and we've got a special uh, special surprise we're planning for the end of this episode that we're going to announce regarding those two movies. Um, so I think now this is the best time to kind of talk about, I think, you know, we both grew up, we both have memories of the Tim Burton remake uh, that came out, I think it was like 2001. So, like, did your memories of that movie kind of cloud or maybe made you skeptical of rise of the planet of the apes when it was when it was going to come out yeah i was just like do i really want to see a bunch of guys in costumes running around again like i just felt kind of confused and not really (laughs) and intrigued to see it because i was like eh, marky marks wasn't that good so i mean it looked cool Great set design and everything by Tim Burton as usual, but the story just kind of was like, meh. So I, I didn't really care for it. But now, it, it's I've been so far removed, so watching this, I was more curious. How about you? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, like how good this movie is totally just washes away just how bad the Tim Burton remake was. Yeah. And it, it just... It, always amazes me that people thought that a remake of a classic science fiction film like planet of the apes was a good idea yeah because it's just in and now we can say in hindsight that it wasn't it's like make trying to make a sequel for speed it didn't work out this that remake didn't work out it's just leave these classic science fiction films alone they're a classic for a reason don't touch them don't remake them don't add a new spin on them either reboot it and try to make your own thing or just leave it alone it's very simple exactly just stop it's like rebooting blade runner leave it alone (laughs) uh so i think on that note i think this is a good point to jump into our rating so on our unique scale for the podcast of wouldn't watch would watch would own and would host a viewing party what do you give to rise of the planet of the apes sean uh for this film i would put it as a would host a viewing party i think planet of the apes is great rise of the planet of the apes is great it got me it is it's such it's just such a refreshing film especially now to look back in 10 years and how well it's aged the direction the writing the acting i i it's just to me it's perplexing to see a film about a cgi ape and then really be rooting for it and fall for it. And to me, that's where I say the director and the writers have got you. Because if you can sus- suspend your belief for that much and root for this guy, the underdog, and want him to dethrone humanity <laughs> and go against the people, your own species, I think that's a win. And I think he, Andy Sergis, like I said before, is a hell of an actor. All of them did a great job. So to me, host a viewing party all day, brother. How about you? You know, um, 
I'm going to start off my review by saying I think the hardest thing that Hollywood can do is find a way to reinvent a franchise and do it successfully. And I think Rise of the Planet of the Apes manages to do that in spades. You you manage to root for the apes at every turn in the movie. You sympathize with Caesar throughout his journey. You do question Will's motivations and moral compass, but eventually he does come around, um, and we like him as a character. It has heartbreaking moments. It's got tense moments. The visual effects are fantastic and will hold up as long as visual effects are talked about in movies. It's a great story. Brilliant production design. So I'm going to be right in agreement with you. I think <laughs> this is a wood host a viewing party all day, every day. Amen. Sweet. I love it that we're in agreement. <laughs> so, which I guess now we can talk since we love this film so much. Uh, we're going to, uh, all right, guys, we're going to review the rest of the series. <laughs> we're doing it yeah, all, so man. <laughs> Yeah, Sean and I were talking just how much we enjoyed watching this movie so much. And yeah, I think uh, we haven't done a nice little suite of episodes in a while. So our next episode and the one after that, we're going to be diving into the rest of the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy. So next time we're bringing you Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, directed by Matt Reeves, starring uh, Joel, was it? Is it Joe Clark or whatever his name is? Uh, he's got an Australian name. I don't know. And also Andy Serkis <laughs> is back as Caesar. So and then we'll we'll round it out with War for the Planet of the Apes. So we got two banger movies coming out into the podcast feed soon. And we are super excited to talk about uh, those movies. And Sean, thank you so much for talking about this episode with me. It was an absolute pleasure. Likewise, Chris, you are the man. As always, I'm pumped. Talk about Dawn and start this new uh, trilogy, this nice reboot series. So I'm pumped. I hope you all enjoyed it there, listening to it, and tune in to us because there's more content to come. Absolutely. So that's going to wrap it up on this edition of the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, and we hope you did, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. That really is the best place to do it, and it really helps to other people like you find the show we are across the spectrum of social media with facebook twitter and instagram all at force fed sci-fi please check out and download episodes from apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or wherever you find podcasts and do us a favor hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode finally you can check out our website forcefedsci-fi.com for show notes and links to all of the social media so for all of us at the force fed sci-fi team We'll see you next time.